0: to calm our hearts and minds and be prepared for what we're about to do. Something that seems so ordinary, but Lord, at the same time, it's not because we get to open the scriptures and hear from you, our creator. And God, we get to hear from you today uh, about a topic that's going to touch every single one of us. And so God, I pray that today would just be a day where your word kind of lifts off the page, that your spirit helps us to understand what it's saying, that it would pierce our hearts. Um, it'd be one of those moments, Lord, where it has nothing to do with what I've prepared, but everything to do with your spirit, that it just seems like you are speaking to each and every one of us personally and specifically. I just pray you would do that work. God, I pray that you would encourage us this morning with what your word has to say. Lord, we're just in a time right now where there's just a lot of scary things going on in our world. And Lord, your word speaks to that directly today. And so God, help us just to be paying attention to what you are wanting us to hear and walk away with this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, as you know, we've been studying this Gospel from some time, making our way through it, and we're going to be in chapter 17 today, finishing out chapter 17. Also, one of, this is one of those sermons where... Um, It'd be great if you had that open in your lap uh, or that app open on your phone and just it's there ready to reference because we're going to be kind of bouncing around and looking at different things. And so I just want you to be able to see exactly uh, what I'm saying right uh, inside the text. Um, You know, as I was been just reflecting on the last couple of weeks, it's been a, I feel like it's just been a really heavy season. It's been a good season uh, for me, personally, I feel like I'm in a, you know, a good season, but at the same time, a, a heavy one because, well, of course, because of things that are going on across the world over in Ukraine and all of the images and the stories that are, are coming in and, and, and grappling with that. Also, also knowing that such things are happening in other countries around the world and have been. Um, and so I know that's been heavy on our spirit. It feels ominous. It. A lot of us are asking the question, everyone's asking the question, where does this go? How does this end? What are the implications? And so those are big, heavy, global questions that we have. But at the same time, it's, I think it's just been heavy because I, I feel like there's been a number of you, uh, people in our church family, who've just lost loved ones lately. I feel like I've gotten the phone call a little bit too much over the last few weeks of, hey, uh, this person died. That person died. This person just passed away. And just feeling that with you. Um, it's just been a, it's been a heavy season. And, and I think in those moments, we say things to each other, good things, meaningful things, like, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying for peace for you. I'm going to be praying for comfort for you. But what, what does that mean? When, when you're in the midst of grief and sorrow, or anxiety, like what does that mean when I say I'm praying for you? Well, I know when I say that to you, I, I, your name's going to go in my journal, and, and I am praying for you, But and I'm praying things like peace and, and comfort for you, but, but more so what I'm praying is, is God, I, I don't know what to pray for this person, death is awful, like God, would you bring an end to the brokenness and the suffering and the death of this world? Right? That's what I'm praying. But that's such a big, cosmic-level prayer. Sometimes we can just feel like, oh, God, is that even worth praying? Is that even something that is being heard by you? Like, Sometimes we just don't know what to pray, right? It just, it just feels so big. You know, we've been obviously studying Luke for a while, and I think maybe that feeling of, I don't know what to pray for, I don't know what's coming next, or we're looking at the world and we see how ominous it feels, and that might help us get inside the shoes of the Pharisees a little bit today, I think. You know, over... The last several weeks if we've been studying Luke, uh, Jesus is on his journey to the cross and he's had a lot of encounters with the Pharisees and Jesus has been challenging the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day, a lot, a lot. But I think today might be one of those days that we can kind of get into their shoes and empathize with them a little bit, identify with what's going on in their head and their heart. What do they desire? What are they praying for? So let me give you a little bit of historical context that the gospel of Luke is set in Because if we want to understand this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, some historical context might be helpful, right? Just like if you want to understand the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, go, go read, all right, the history of that area, Eastern Europe, over the last hundred years. It's going to be helpful to understand why is what's happening over there. It doesn't excuse it, but just to get the historical setting. Well, let me do the same thing for Luke. See, in the Old Testament, God promised his people, that's the nation of Israel, that was his people in the Old Testament, God promised them that he was gonna send them a Messiah, a king, and that king would establish a kingdom. Now, we can identify maybe a little bit, not personally as Americans right now in our context, but maybe as we look over at what's going on in Ukraine we can identify a little bit with what the Pharisees felt because they had been invaded before. They know what it's like for a neighboring country to come in and just ruin everything and carry people off into exile. That happened, the Babylonians did that, right? In your Old Testament. But it's not just the Babylonians. Israel, as this is playing out, as Jesus is headed to the cross, is currently occupied by Rome. So the Roman Empire had already come in, conquered Israel, and had set up rule. They are under Roman occupation as we speak in this text. And so we get inside the Pharisees. They know what it's like to be invaded. They know what it's like to be ruled by a foreign nation. And they know what it's like to hate that nation that is ruling over them. So that's their current historical setting. And so when they were praying big cosmic prayers, they're praying things like, God, get the Romans out. When is your Messiah coming who's going to establish his kingdom and is going to set us free? Legitimate prayer, valid prayer, right? And so this guy, John, comes on the scene, John the Baptist, and he says, he's here, the Messiah is here, the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, what does that mean? Then Jesus comes on the scene and he's saying, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand and he is starting to say things and teach things as we've been studying in Luke that he's bringing God's kingdom. So in the mind of the Pharisees, something's not computing. That makes sense, right? Because in the Pharisees' mind, they're going, okay, you you, you say you're the Messiah, you're going to bring a kingdom. Well, what are you doing about Rome? Like, what are you doing to establish a a new rule? Like, uh, is this going to be a military thing where we're going to, like, you know, form an army and, and, and kick Rome out? Is this a political campaign? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Because in our head, when you say a king is coming, it's going to establish our kingdom. Well, he, that person's going to throw out our oppressors, our invaders. And so obviously, it's not what they were seeing Jesus do. And so that, that might describe just a bit the friction, the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. Because Jesus was not doing what they expected the Messiah to do. He was not bringing the kingdom of God in the way that they thought it was going to happen. And so they asked Jesus more about it in our text this morning. Luke 17, starting in verse 20. The verse starts out, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. So the Pharisees go to Jesus and, hey, you say you're bringing the kingdom. Uh, we don't see it happening. Uh, you're spending time with the poor and the marginalized. You're healing people. You're spending time with Gentiles and sinners. Uh, okay, we, we're not really sure what you're doing, Jesus. You say it's coming. When is it coming? So they go to Jesus and they ask him in verse 20. Verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. So Jesus says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So Jesus is saying, Listen, the kingdom's not coming in the way that you can see. So, so, okay, we'll rule out militaristic campaign, political campaign. We'll rule out some sort of Jesus using force to shove the Romans. I mean, I can see all of those things. So something else here is going on. And so Jesus says, actually, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you right now. You, you could understand the Pharisee's frustration a little bit. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? But what Jesus means is that when I say the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, what I mean is, well, well, number one, I'm in the midst of you, Jesus, the Messiah, the King, I'm here, I am bringing my kingdom, you don't see me as that, but that's who I am, but it's also my followers, my disciples, the people who trust in me, the people who see me as the Christ, they are also a part of my kingdom, And my kingdom is going to start really, 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 really small, like the size of a mustard seed that we read about earlier in Luke. So small that you might miss it. So small, it's not going to be according to any of your expectations. But this is the start of the kingdom of God. And here's what Jesus means by it. Jesus, what he means by this is he goes, listen, I I did not come here. I did not, like, literally, I was with God the Father in heaven, and I did not put on human flesh and come here to drive Rome out. I I didn't come here to come and establish Israel as this great world power. No, I came here to actually rule over the entire world. But I'm not here, I'm not interested in the political rule. I'm not interested in a militaristic rule. I'm not interested in taking rule over the entire world through force. I'm after your heart. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't want to just take, you know, come on the scene, do a bunch of miracles You know what I mean? Call legions of angels down, wipe people out who reject him. He doesn't wanna just come, show the force that he does have, the power that he does have, and just say, you must all follow me now because I'm the most powerful guy in the room. That's not Jesus' way. No, what Jesus wants is the worship, the allegiance, the affections of every human heart. That's what Jesus is after. See, at creation, God, God created us in his image, but we rebelled against him. And what did we do? We, know, we, we took the affections, the allegiance, the worship of our heart that was directed towards God, and we said, no, we're gonna put that on the things of the world. We're gonna put that on ourselves. Like, God, I don't wanna recognize you as God. I wanna be able to live for myself according to my ways, not according to your ways, so Something happened at the fall where the worship of our heart no longer went to God or it went to Jesus. And so Jesus is here because he says, I want that back, but I'm not going to take it from you by force. The kingdom of God is not a place where Jesus is simply king. No, the, the kingdom of God is a place where every heart gladly recognizes him as king. And joyfully surrenders their all to him because they know he is good. And so they follow. And that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is here to establish. And so it starts really, 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 really small. That's what Jesus is building. And so in our text, starting in verse 22. Jesus is going to walk us through his plan on how he's going to build it. And in that, he's going to give us a few warnings. But basically, he's saying, let me, let me peer into the future with you. And let me let you in on a few things that are going to happen. So let's read this text together. Luke 17, 22 through 30. And then we'll break it down together. So keep your Bible open. Start in verse 22. Jesus says, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. I'll come back to that. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. But first, first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. All right, let me explain this to you. What Jesus is doing here is he's kind of dividing up the establishment of his kingdom into three phases. All right, so let's break down the three phases, all right? So phase number one is the first coming Of Jesus. All right, now the majority of what we just read deals with the second coming of Jesus, but we have a few places where it deals with the first coming of Jesus, namely verse 25. It says in verse 25, but first he, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And so Jesus is saying, my primary purpose in my first coming, so the king has arrived, he's here. His primary purpose is to suffer and be rejected. That's what Jesus is here to do. That's exactly what Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem in our text to do. And so believe me, that is the opposite of what the Pharisees thought the Messiah would come and do. Right? Think about that. Wait, wait, hold on. You're here to suffer and be rejected? No, no, no. You're king. We are currently occupied by Rome. No, no, no. You're not going to suffer and be rejected. You're going to drive Rome out. I mean, so you can imagine Why the Pharisees and the Jews of the day would have such a hard time with this. Suffer and be rejected. Even the disciples had a hard time grappling with this until after it all happened when they kind of all clicked in their head because of the Holy Spirit. But suffer and be rejected, that's his primary purpose. See, because Jesus isn't here to rule by force, but rather to rule your heart. And to win your heart, he must suffer and be rejected. And no one around Jesus of the day understood why that was the case. Why do you need to suffer and be rejected in order to win over my heart? And we'll come back to that. But it's in this moment, the first coming of Jesus, what Jesus does is he inaugurates his kingdom, he starts it. It's really small, it's not here in its fullness yet. It's not global in scope yet, but he starts it. And in order for it to grow, he must suffer and be rejected. We'll come back to that. So that's phase one, the first coming of Jesus. Phase two in our text is what I'm calling the age of the church. Now, it doesn't say in our text the age of the church. It's not specifically mentioned, but it is alluded to. So let me, let me show you. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. So here's what Jesus is saying. When he refers to the day of the Son of Man, he's referring to his second coming. And so he's saying there are going to be days where you're going to be waiting for that. Right? There are going to be days that you're going to be looking for that. Right? So those are the days after Jesus' first coming, but before his second coming right now. That's, that's where we are currently in the text. We're waiting for the second arrival of Jesus. And he says there's going to be a bunch of people who are like, ooh, I know when it's going to be. Look here, look there. Oh, we could calculate it, look at these world events or these things, and we'll be able to figure it out. And Jesus is saying, Don't listen to any of them. Alright? So he told us what to do about people who think they can predict this right here in Luke 17. He said, Don't listen to them. Because no one's going to know when the second coming occurs. This is after the Messiah arrived for the first time, after he suffered, and we're waiting for him to return. He tells us more information in verses 26 and 27, where he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. The day of the Son of Man is the second coming. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, verse twenty-eight. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulphur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So here is what Jesus is saying: there are going to be days, the days that we're in today, after the first coming, but before the second, where we're going to be living our normal life, right? Doing our thing, working our jobs, raising our families, eating, drinking, and it's going to come. Right? Jesus is saying that second coming is going to literally be like a lightning bolt. And we'll get to that in a second. But he goes, in these days, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Right? God came to Noah and was like, hey, I'm about to rain on earth for a while. You need to go build a boat. So he starts to do that. But everybody else didn't know that was coming. They scoffed at Noah for building a boat, but they didn't know that it was coming. They lived their normal lives, and then the rains came out of nowhere, right? The days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, same thing. Lot got rescued, pulled out of the city. The city didn't know that fire and brimstone was coming to destroy them. And so what Jesus is saying about this age of the church is that we're gonna be kind of living normal life between the first and second coming of Jesus, all right? We're not sure what, what's going on. And that second coming of Jesus is gonna come with no warning. So we'll get more to this age of the church in a second. But phase three is the second coming of Jesus What the majority of this text is dealing with, the second coming of Jesus. Now this coming is going to happen maybe a little bit how the Pharisees imagined it. We read in verse 24 already where he says that as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in this day. Right? That's what it's gonna be like. The, the coming of the Son of Man is gonna be instantaneous, it's gonna be global, it's gonna be unpredictable, and it's gonna be unmistakable. What is happening? And Jesus says in verse 29 and 30 But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur, will rain from heaven and destroy them all, so will it be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's that day that Jesus will bring his kingdom in its fullness. It will now be global. He will now have rule over the entire world. All people who have given their hearts to Jesus and worship him as king will be included. And the text tells us that all people who do not worship Jesus as king, they have not given their hearts to him, will be sent away to judgment. And Jesus' kingdom will then be complete. And so the quick recap, phase one, first coming of Jesus. Jesus comes, and he comes to suffer, but that suffering and that rejection starts his kingdom. And his followers and his disciples start that kingdom. Then we get the age of the church where we're just living life. That's where we're at right now. But the kingdom of Jesus is growing Jesus' disciples are growing, giving their hearts to Jesus. And so it's growing and growing and growing. And then one day he will return instantaneously. And he will establish his rule over the the whole world. And everyone who worships Jesus will be included. And in their hearts, they will gladly and joyfully worship him as king, surrender to him as king, because he's going to be a good king. And all who don't worship Jesus as king will be sent away to judgment. And it's on that point right there that Jesus lingers a little longer in the text. Jesus knows he's on the way to the cross in Luke, so he knows I I gotta give them a little bit more explanation about this age of the church phase, like what's about to come upon them because I'm gonna go to the cross and be buried and be resurrected and ascend to be with the Father and then they're gonna be in this second phase where my kingdom's going to expand via the church. And so Jesus wants to give them a bit more information and a warning with this. So look at verse 31. Jesus says, on that day, the day of his second coming, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house Not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus is asking the question on the day that I return, this day that's going to be instantaneous without warning, when that happens, where will the affections of your heart be? Will the affections of your heart, the allegiances of your heart, the worship of your heart be on Jesus or will it be on the things of this world? It's kind of like if you're in your house and the fire alarm goes off in the middle of the night and you need to get out of the house, the house is burning down, do you risk your life to go, man, I need to get my computer and oh my gosh, the dog and you know what I mean? Are you just trying to gather all your stuff before you get out, because you can't imagine life without that stuff. That's kind of the example Jesus is using here. When that happens, are you gonna look back and be like, wait, all my stuff? That was Lot's wife. Remember, Lot and his wife got rescued from Sodom before God destroyed it, and they're running away, and Lot's wife looked back and turns to a pillar of salt. Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man comes And this age ends. Life as you know it is over. And we're now going into the kingdom of God in its fullness. Are you going to look back on the world and say, I'd rather have that? Because that would just say that your heart isn't on Jesus as king or your heart's on the things of this world. And that's the very warning that Jesus is presenting us with. If Jesus were to come back right now, where would your heart be? Would it be on your stuff? Would it be on your money? Would it be on your career and your accomplishments and your goals? Those are all good things, good things to pursue. But is the allegiance of your heart on those things or Jesus? When we think about our study of the Gospel of Luke over the last several weeks, I think this is a lot of what Jesus has been challenging the Pharisees and his disciples with. Be like, listen, you can be a very religious person and very externally religious, doing all the things you were taught to do as you've grown up, but your heart can be on the things of the world at the same time. And Jesus has been saying, Listen, I'm not here to establish this militaristic rule right now. I'm here to establish the rule of your hearts. And I'm wondering, do I have that or not? That's the question Jesus keeps asking. Look at verse 34. Continue in the text. He says, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together, grinding flour. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord, where are they taking them? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather to judgment. It may have been a popular book series, Left Behind, that may have messed up some of our reading of this text, right? We think that it's a good thing um, to be taken and not left behind, and, and that we don't want to be left behind, that's backwards. No, 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 we don't want to be taken. Because in this text, is referring taken to judgment, And those left behind are the ones who are left behind to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness as Jesus established his global reign. Everyone will be judged according to their heart. Does Jesus have their allegiance and affections and worship over their heart, or does the world because when Jesus comes in that second coming, he will establish his rule and all who want to be in the kingdom of God and who see Jesus as king will be included. But all who don't want that and would rather have the world will be sent to judgment. You know, I'd be a really bad pastor if I tried to diminish what the text is saying today. If I tried to soften the language a bit because it's kind of hard for us to hear, goes against our cultural conscience in many ways. Ooh, judgment. But the text is warning us this morning, Jesus is coming back. Like he is coming back. That, That will happen without warning. Instantaneously. As the lightning flashes, and depending on where your heart is this morning, that's either a really frightful thought, or that is the very thing that your heart is trying to pray when it doesn't know what to pray. Because when Jesus returns, all those who are still in their sins, all those who have their hearts set on the world and, and not Jesus, they'll, they'll be sent to judgment. And Jesus is saying that will happen. But for those of us who do believe upon him, for those of us who do see him as king, who will gladly live in the kingdom of God, who've been rescued by the blood of Jesus, we're going to be included in the kingdom in all of those prayers. We don't have even words for our answers. Because we're going to be included in a kingdom where there is no more sin, there is no more suffering, there is no more evil, or war, or crying, or pain, or trauma, or regret, or shame. It's over. It will be finished. And so as Christians, when we don't know what to pray, when we're in those moments where we're We're faced with death. We're faced with grief. We're faced with evil and we're trying to encourage each other and there's this awkward, I'll pray for you, but I don't even know how to pray for you. This is what we're praying for. God, come back. Will you put an end to the suffering of this world? Will you put an end to the war going on across the globe and every other war and future wars? Will you put an end to death? That's what our heart is grasping to pray for. And as Christians, it's a very good thing to pray for. Jesus, will you come back and establish your rule? Establish your kingdom? Because it's what my heart longs for. But the question for us right now is, if Jesus returned right now, does he have your heart? Because the reason why he had to suffer and be rejected in his first coming was so that he could win over the worship of your heart. You know, we could look at our text this morning and be bothered by the strong language of judgment in it. But I think if we just looked at that through that lens and just saw it as unfair, I think we miss some things about God in the text, two things in particular. I think the first thing we miss is just God's holiness, that he is our creator, he is the rightful king, and he is the one that deserves our surrender in our lives. But the second thing that I think that we miss is his patient Grace upon us and everyone in the world and the invitation that he extends to all people to partake of his kingdom, to be included in his kingdom, right? Because the reason why Jesus came to suffer first was so that he could do it in our place. The judge came to take the place of the one deserving judgment. The God of the universe came to be rejected in the place of those who have rejected him. Jesus went to the cross to face the death and the judgment that we deserve for rejecting him as king. And if we trust in him, if we see him as king, if we say, Jesus, I trust that you did that, what the text tells us is that he forgives us. And he invites us into his kingdom and he begins a work of healing and transformation and change inside of us. And the day of his return will not be a day of judgment. It will be a glorious day where our king finally sets up his rule for all of eternity. That's why Jesus came to suffer first because he wants to rule over the hearts of his people not just take it by force. And so this morning, as we wrap up in our text, I I just, there's three different ways I think some of us need to respond to the scriptures this morning. If you're here today and maybe you don't know if you believe in him, if you're joining us online, same thing, like I'm not sure if Jesus has the worship of my heart. I don't know. You know, this morning, my encouragement to you is, you know, we're going to invite people to the communion table. And for you, I just, I encourage you to stay in your seat and pray and say, God, if this is all true, will you reveal yourself to me? God, if, if you are coming back, I, I, I do long for this kingdom that we're talking about today. So if this is true, would you, would you show that to me? Because I want to put my trust in you. I want to put my faith in you. And my prayer for you this morning is maybe today's the first day that you actually do put your trust in your faith in Jesus and begin to walk with Him. And as a church body, we want to walk with you in that. So maybe that's you. There might be others of you here today who, man, you've just gone through a lot of suffering lately. I know there's some of you, I've talked to you recently. And just life is just really overwhelming. And you're just right in that spot where you're like, Alan, I'm so tired. I just want his kingdom to be here. That's what I long for. I just want to invite you to the communion table. Because when Jesus did the Passover with his disciples, he broke some bread and he said, This is just for you to remember my suffering, it's for you to remember that my body was broken because I was taking on the judgment and wrath of God so that you don't have to. And he took some wine and he served it. And he said, this wine, it's like my blood that when it was shed on the cross, it it cleansed you of all of your sins. And so I want you to come to the table and I want you to eat the bread and drink the wine. and, And I want you to remember what I've done for you. But then he said this, he raised the glass at that table and he said, and I'm not gonna drink of this cup again until I do anew with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the next time I join you at this table, it will be in the kingdom and all will be made new. All of your suffering will be gone. And so if that's you this morning, you're just overwhelmed, I invite you to the table and I just want you to be restored in the truth that Jesus is coming back. And one day all of your prayers will be answered. You can have faith in that. And lastly, if you're here today and you're joyfully following Jesus, trusting in his kingdom, waiting for his return, I encourage you to come to the table in celebration as well, remembering what Christ has done for you on the cross, and even taking the moment to examine yourself, to go, Jesus, do you have my whole heart? Are there things in the world that have my heart? Because when you return, I want you to have my whole heart in your kingdom. So wherever you're at this morning, whether you need to sit in your seat and pray and examine if you trust in Jesus or not, or if you need to come to the communion table to remember the cross and to remember that our King is coming back, I want you to take the time that you need right now to figure out where you are. You can just sit in your seat quietly, silently, And then whenever you're ready, just as the band plays for a little bit, whenever you're ready, you can come forward to the table, take some bread and take some juice. Go back to your seat and you can partake of those whenever you're ready in your own time. So let me pray and then we'll be invited to the table. God. Will you come back? This world is really hard. It's really hard. And I know there's people sitting in these seats right now, God, who are hurting deeply. And they've been praying consistently. And so God, I pray you would encourage their hearts this morning with the truth that you are coming that your kingdom is real and that in your patient grace you're waiting till the fullness of all of the people that you've called to yourself trust in you. Encourage your church this morning, God, I pray. And if there's anyone in here who is wrestling if they believe in you, I pray your Holy Spirit would come upon them right now and make it without question that they trust in you.